Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Sunday edition of the Open Mic Podcast. Brett Allen coming at you live from the Bay Area Studios. So many things happening in our country right now. Our prayers go out to the family of George Floyd. This is just such an unprecedented time in our country. First, it's coronavirus, and now it's this. Things are happening around us, literally just minutes away from my house. Buildings are burning. It's so sad and unfortunate. I don't even know what to say. It's just absolutely horrible and... And I really hope and pray that our country just comes to a stopping point here very soon where we can get back to normal. So sad. And I wanted to put out this episode with Jake Busey. He is on the line with us. And I just want to provide us a little bit of respite, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of joy. Thank you to Michelle over at Rogers and Cowan for providing Jake to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means the world. I hope you enjoy this interview. Jake, welcome into the podcast. It's good to have you here today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I'm excited. Obviously, if people are listening and they don't know this, we can see each other. And he is in his garage working. Yeah, I haven't stopped moving at home, but I haven't stopped moving. I've got a lot going on. We're launching a new electric motorcycle in uh, late summer and early fall. So I've been a lot doing a lot of design work. We've got prototypes here and, you know, one of them, it can go where bicycles can go. It's stuck. It's in the legal category of going to 28 miles an hour but then we have the other models that do 45 to 60 miles an hour that are like city hoppers uh, from like small town to small town like in the los angeles area if you live in santa monica and you want to go to beverly hills or you live in the marina and you want to go to uh, culver city or something you know like you wouldn't get on the freeway because it's like in the light motorcycle category but you can also pass it off as a bike and ride in bike lanes and you don't have to deal with parking and it's you don't have the commitment of like i'm gonna get on a, my my harley and cruise from go you know and go to lunch like it's uh you just kind of hop on and go so we're really excited about that now will those be made available to the general public as far as people that want to purchase them through your company or how will that work exactly yeah we're gonna have uh infrastructure of dealerships across the country that carry them as well as online and you'll also be able to order them in modular uh, aspects so these are these cool lightweight electric motorcycles so it's like having an electric it's like having a motor electric motorized bicycle that's a little heavier but it does 60 miles an hour then there's like some classic motorcycle styles that we're going to offer with these like there's going to be the bobber and the cafe racer like the old triumphs in in the 70s and then we're gonna have like the velodrome boardwalk style and then there's also like an apocalypse the zombie the COVID apocalypse bike the survivalist (laughs) so yeah so we've got we got four models that we're gonna launch with so and and then you can choose to change the style of your bike a couple months uh, by ordering just different parts on our website 
Well, um, you mentioned zombie apocalypse. Now I have to ask, are you going to do a Starship Troopers version? You have to do that, right? You know, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a cool one. You know, it's becoming such a cult hit. It's really strange. I uh, never would have expected it to be that I still walk down the street and I hear people shouting Starship Troopers when they see me. It's a, it's a trip. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that we're on the topic now because I met you at Comic-Con several years ago. I wouldn't expect you to remember. It was in... Albuquerque, New Mexico. We had a conversation about Starship Troopers and you were sharing this story and please correct me if I'm wrong in the description, but it was kind of themed and decided upon that this would kind of be like a Top Gun type film with all the action sequences and that sort of thing? Well, we read the book. All of us read the Robert Heinlein book. So I had the book in my head. I had the visuals of my imagination from the book, which is very broad scale, big, big scale, big scope um really like our characters had these suits that you jumped it was uh if you if you remember in the second aliens movie when ripley is working the loading dock thing she has the fight with the alien and she's like in this yellow armored suit that's that's like a forklift that yeah that was like jim cameron's interpretation in, in of that of our jumpsuits but in, in an industrial way, which is, I think, artistically, it was a really cool choice for him to do. In fact, one of the rumors I heard uh, when we were shooting was that early on, when the, when our film was in pre-production, long before I was a part of it, someone on a studio level, I, you know, who knows, I don't know who the person was, had asked Jim, like, hey, you know, they're, they're making Starship Troopers. What do you think about that? And Paul Verhoeven's directing it. What do you think about that? And apparently his response was, well, I don't really care. I already made that. <laughs> and um, that movie bled into a lot of people's experiences in life. And uh, it was motivator and inspiration. Or the, the book, the book was, clearly. And, and so for me, when we, when we started with Starship Troopers, I don't know that I thought of it as much of a Top Gun thing. But I, I think, I don't know what I was where my head was at the day in Albuquerque, but like we, I suppose there, there would be a Top Gun element in the sense of that it was just adrenaline packed yeah, and young soldiers that are, you know, the, the battle sequences are, are action sequences and, and they just, they're clever and they don't stop. In this case, they're very, they're very brutal, not like Top Gun was, but uh, it, it was, a, it was a, I think regardless of what it started out to be or what anyone thought, it, it really is its own deal. And it's, it's created a standard of, of, of like, you know, it's inspiration for a lot of other artists and filmmakers. And when we all saw Halo, when it debuted, we were like, oh, snap. They, <laughs> they, they, they made us a video game. Um, That's so, funny. You know, I could see that. That would make perfect sense. Great. That movie. old first person shooter. That, that was such a great film. And I tell you, when my son's old enough, He's five and a half now. That will be on the list of movies to indoctrinate him with. I just, it's such a great film and it stood the test of time for so many years. And uh, your character, of course, we all remember, but you've done a lot of other great films as well. You've done Tomcats. I mean, just the list goes on and on as far as what you've done. Now, as you... (laughs) Tomcats. I love that you put that in there. That was a great movie. I mean, you've done... (laughs) I mean, as of recent, you know, you've been on Stranger Things. I mean, there's just so many other things. That That's another movie to me, which I feel like is a classic in its own right in that specific regard. But when it comes to choosing roles, things that you want to do, Jake, what, what, how do you go about picking those particular things and deciding 
this is something that I want to be a part of. I, I would like to stop the misconception in right now. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I want to kind of drive home the point that for a lot of us actors, we don't we don't sit back at the house and just kind of peruse an endless stream of scripts that we get to pick and say, I think I'll do this. Oh yeah, that look, it's not like it's a, a restaurant and you're looking at a menu and you're like, oh, I'll do that one. It's that way for people like Johnny Depp and Scarlett Johansson and Brad Pitt and, and all those and Clooney and, you know, Jennifer Aniston. But for, for us blue collar character actors, it's, it's really you're going to the casino and you know you're pulling the handle on that on that machine hoping it rings and dings and starts spewing coins out so for me how i pick things is basically i'm my manager will send me uh, an audition or my agent will send me an audition and then they will attach the script and say, you can read the script if you want. This is the character they want you to read for. And then if I, if I read the script and it just doesn't have integrity or the character is just somebody that I, I don't want to play, I just don't do it. But if it's something that I like and is artistically deep and has, you know, something that I can make out of it, then that's a for sure for me. And then the, the you know, the movies I do that you, you look at and you go, well, why would he ever do not see zombies at the center of the earth? And that is purely because somebody calls my manager and says, Hey, we we'd love to use Jake in this movie. You know, can he come down for one day? We'll give him 10 grand and, and, you know, be on his way. And, and at that point I'm, I'm like, yeah, my daughter's going to have to go to college and I haven't done anything in a couple months. And so, yeah, you know, I was looking at my average day's work in 2019. I think I worked like 26 or 27 days. So, and, and I would rather work 300. It's just the way it works out. My, my big, my big, like, uh, my plan, my promise to myself was, or to the universe or whatever, was like, I am going to work more than 30 days in 2020. And so far, we're not off to the raging start <laughs> that I had expected. Obviously not, my friend, with COVID. And it's unfortunate because this has affected so many people. And I, I appreciate your honesty earlier in the fact most actors don't just sit at home. It's an anomaly, really, I think, the number who can just yes, no, yes, no on this particular script. But for those working yeah. actors who do this for the pure passion and craft of acting, I, I honestly love everything that you've done. I'm not just saying that because we're talking right now, but I, I've been a oh, fan. thanks. Yeah, you know, it's just so interesting, though, to see and hear your answers in regards to, you know, the fact that they might call you for one particular thing and then you come out and you do it and you get a big swing at it. And then, you know, COVID happens and now everybody is kind of stuck. And I don't know. I mean, there's rumors that <laughs> certain places well, now, are going to open up or not. I don't know. Well, now uh, everybody gets to see what it's like to be an actor. You want to go back to work. You need to go back to work. But except when you're an actor, you don't have like, you know, Senate bill help and, and like, oh, you don't worry about it. You don't have to pay your rent this month. Like, you know, <laughs> no. thank God for the Screen Actors Guild because they have programs for us that are like, well, and even on like my auto loan is through the Screen Actors Guild and they have a button on the website you can click that says skip a payment on like my, my, my truck loan because there will be months where you just don't have, you can't make your car payment. And they know that because... 
They're the Screen Actors Guild and they know how actors' lives work. And they know you'll probably pay it back at the end of the year or whenever you get your next job. Yeah, it's tough. And with this COVID thing, it's as if it wasn't hard enough already where you're, you're wanting to work 300 days a year and you only get to work 20-something days a year. And you're constantly auditioning and trying and working your ass off, proving yourself. I mean, 150 movies and I'm still auditioning trying to prove that I'm, I can do this. You got all of that. And then now to add this COVID thing is like uh, really tightening the screws, I think, on on a lot of, uh, first of all, on everybody. But in the acting world, who knows what's going to happen? Because I'm hearing rumblings like we're all going to have to wear masks at all times at work, except for between action and cut. And like, we're going to stay in our trailers. We won't be able to like mingle with the crew or anything. And, well, you definitely want to bring your guitar to work and or a video game, you know, like it's uh, it's crazy. But, but then again, most most of the time for me for some reason the roles that i get are very like in the last five years are extremely dialogue the guy like when i was on from dust till dawn like if they if the writers would ever run into they would ever back themselves into a corner and like oh crap how are we going to explain all of this and wrap this up you know and, and and let the audience know what's going on visually all that then they're like oh well, we'll just give Jake a monologue. So I've so since then, it's it seems like everything that I do is like just verbose, paragraph after paragraph. So when I'm at work, I really don't sit around and play guitar anymore. <laughs> when I'm not filming, you're I'm, memorizing I'm, all your monologues. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's you know it's tough work trying to cram that. The last little movie I did in November was a Western. He kind of took that attitude with me on the film, and it. I mean, I was basically I basically stood on a pulpit. In 1865, out in in a, in a in front of this building on this Western set, and described the whole movie for him. It was like <laughs> I was like a narrator in person, and that was quite an exercise in in practice and all that. But I love it. It's what I do, and it's it's um. I wish I could do it more. So well, I think you're excellent at it, and I, I some of the things that you've done, and it's funny you mentioned the dialogue thing because for people listening again who aren't super familiar, filming days can go. 10, 12, 14 hours, even longer, depending on how long it takes to set up a shot and get well, you're, you're, everything your ready. Minimum, your minimum is, is 12 hours. Your standard is 13 because of lunch. For example, Stranger Things was always an 18-hour day for me. So, yeah, it feels like summer camp. Um, at least it used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now who knows, but you're a family man. We've talked about that earlier. You have kids. Do they, what do they think about dad being an actor? I mean, do they get it? Does it make sense to them? Have they been in anything that you've done? Or are you just dad at the end of the day when, it, when you come home? Well, my daughter is, we have a great relationship. And yeah, I'm just dad. But at the same time, she thinks it's pretty cool that I'm an actor and she's not really wowed by it because that's just the way it is but like when she comes to visit she's more interested in going to craft service than coming to see me but yeah i mean you know the world's changed since i was young and now if you're eight years old you've got an ipad and you're watching other eight-year-olds with their home videos and their parents and they're filming themselves doing like just banal things like just like home videos put on youtube and the kids they just love to watch each other it's it's a trip like my daughter her favorite thing is to watch this brother and sister in Australia and they're just playing. They're just doing their thing, but their parents are filming them and putting it on YouTube. Yeah, I and, get that. And it's a phenomenon. It's like, you know, there's a girl in New Jersey and she's like 10 and she has millions of followers. All these kids, they just watch her 
do a normal day, just a normal kids day. I think if, if I was, if I had like a YouTube channel and I and I was doing little skits on YouTube, I think my daughter would think I was just amazing. I'm just one of those old guys in movies and TV shows. Yeah, my son, again, I think I mentioned he's five and a half and he's obsessed with yeah. YouTube, these gamers, you know, and he watches oh, them right. play these video games all day long. I'm giving him credit. Jelly, I think is his name. And he watches him play Minecraft. And I look at these right. videos, like 75 million views. And then you go to their Instagram page. People are, I can't even, I'm 45. I can't even believe people are making a living off of doing this. This yeah. is absolutely insane. No, I, I, you kick yourself and you say, why Why didn't I do that? Why am I not doing it now? Why do I not care to do that? Why am, why am I not putting forth that effort? I could clearly do it, but I just don't have an interest in doing it. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I was pretty good at video games. I don't know this Baldi character. My daughter loves the Baldi character. And I think that's Minecraft. I don't know. Yes, that would be correct. It's insane. As we wrap <laughs> things up here, I want to definitely get to this it's crazy you started acting when you were five like you've been in the industry forever obviously you know your family that it's just kind of who you are as a person how has it changed obviously from when you can remember to now wow yeah well the one thing i do remember when i was young about films and movies was things took longer the overall experience of filming was far more interactive with other people with other humans and there was more you just needed a lot more time to do what we can do now in a quarter of the time you know and um so there was an element that was very like the sound recording was not that great like to have the setup you have in your house would be hundreds of thousands of dollars they just so like when you recorded the dialogue in the for a movie if there was a helicopter or if there was a bus horn when you filmed it you had to go in and redo your dialogue it's called looping um additional dialogue recording it's just fixing the audio and you really had to do it a lot. And I would go with my dad and we'd go to the soundstage. I remember being at Warner Brothers on the soundstage when I was five. And you could smell the film emulsion in the air because the film constantly passing over the projector and then rewinding and passing over the projector. And it was fresh cut film and they would cut it and make changes. And then you would wait to do the next take and you would do a take and they'd be like, okay, that's great. Let me paste this and cut it. And the guys in there with a razor blade pasting the audio track together and then they rerun it so you can hear it. And it took all day to do what I now knock out in 15 minutes. Wow. So that has the technological advances have made it a lot cheaper and easier. But with that, you you do lose the fun summer camp aspect. Like when we did Starship Troopers or Twister or Enemy of the State or The Frighteners or Contact or you know those movies, we were the woman you saw in the background there. We were we were out of town together. We were living in hotels for like four or five months at a time, changing locations, going to another place for like a month or two. They built these giant sets and they had like on Starship Troopers, we had these like fiberglass bugs that were real size. They were huge. And there was big tractors with the back of a giant beetle that Casper's like flying around on and, and helicopters dropping in, you know, the, our spaceships making it look like they're flying. And and now you just do it on a green screen over in the valley somewhere in Van Nuys. So that whole experience of living in Wyoming, of, of watching this immense, like on Enemy of the State with Tony Scott directing and Jerry Bruckheimer's producing it. And, you know, it's Disney money. And my God, there was four helicopters in the sky at all times, all day long. They don't only land the fuel. 
and and two of them or three of them had cameras and the other i don't i don't know the order of that but it was like you know they're moving trains and buses and coordinating in baltimore downtown like the movement of an entire mile-long freight train with a helicopter an explosion five guys in different stunt cars this whole huge thing of building blowing up. Now they would just do it on a green screen. There was a real visceral feeling of like, we're making a film. We are out here doing this. And it was like, you know, the crew, they all look like mountaineers, you know, they're, they're like outdoor rough gypsies. And um, one of the things that I have seen about the movie industry, and that's, it's great that it's more efficient and it's cheaper and we can have these great movies, but I do miss the reality. And the other, the other thing that I, that I'm really, that saddens me and it makes me look at the future of it in sort of a more of a bleak way. The film industry came out of people who were artistic refugees, people who were leaving oppression in Russia, people who were leaving and fleeing from the czars and they went to New York America, the promised land, and they tried to get a new start. But you know what they found there? They found racism and oppression, and they wound up living in the ghettos of New York, and they were trying to make movies, and it was just a bad existence, and they learned how to, you know, scrimp and save and, and scrabble and get, get it in there and, and make sure to survive and persevere. And then finally, like the four leaders of those guys, or five, all wound up going to California and starting their own new town in the middle of, like, the Old West, and making it and calling it Hollywood and all the studio executives of all the studios in the very beginning were all born within like 15 miles of each other in Russia. They didn't necessarily travel together, but they all wound up there together. So there was a real gypsy vagabond salt of the earth, like survivalist mentality and rooting for the underdog was in all the stories, but the people making the movies were also the people that didn't really fit in. They were the people that were just not cubicle folks, just not normal people, just not nine to fivers, not, not able to really conform with society in a lot of ways. And so movie people for the first 25 years of my career was, was a real, like you had this, like, we are the outcasts. We are the miscreants. We're the ne'er-do-wells and we're bonding together. And we have our sacred area here of work together. There, there was a lot of onset romances there was a lot of really great friendships that are born out of it. The industry kind of had worked on like a friendship basis. And that's why, you, you know, you see like these actors are married for two years and then they get divorced and remarried for two years because it's this sort of on the road gypsy mentality of life. You really do get caught up in the magic while you're filming it. You get caught up in the character. And a lot of people don't realize that maybe they're in love with their, their, their character that they're playing opposite of. And, and, and great. That's life. That's the way it goes. But then now what I've noticed in the past 10, maybe 15 years, like with the internet, all of a sudden the rest of the country has decided that they want to be in the movie industry too. We have, all of these quote unquote regular folks and like, you know, teenage girls coming out thinking that it's going to be like silver lined pillows and everyone's fuzzy wuzzy and cuddly. And they get on set with all of us ne'er-do-well miscreants that are like, you know, gypsy road traveling artists that live in trailers. And then suddenly they're hurt and they're offended and they're, you know, they want the movie industry to conform to their values rather than understanding that like, no, this is a whole group of people who don't fit in that are doing something and living a certain life. You're wanting to come in to that lifestyle and you're now you're wanting to change it and make it all fuzzy wuzzy and cuddly and 
it's really shaking up the industry and we've and it's great we've got the me too thing and and i you know my wife is a makeup artist and my daughter is most likely going to be an actor and certainly don't want behavior like those awful people that were called out you know and thank god weinstein finally got busted for his behavior and and then there was a lot of people that were that way but now it's gone to the point where it's probably okay with the covid thing that nobody's that we're not going to be able to interact on set anymore and everything is making you know becoming sterile because there's you know there's people who just who want who want it that way for the past 10 years or so quite often you're working on a stage you're in the dark uh, you can't see you can't speak because you have to be quiet and someone will need to walk behind you so they'll put your hand they'll put their hand on your shoulder just so you know they're walking behind you just like a bartender does to a busboy or something you know in a crowded bar and it's it's unspoken but you're just like moving past yesterday i heard this that a woman filed a lawsuit because somebody was actually trying to help her sit down she was looking for a wow. seat in the dark somebody reached out and tapped her thigh cuz she wasn't looking at him and it was dark or whatever and it just leaned forward, reached and tap, tapped her thigh and said, here, you know, you can sit down here or whispered quietly or something. And she filed a lawsuit. So like, there's a bunch of people. You're asking a guy who's been in the industry, movie industry since 1975, uh, what I think, what I've seen. And this is what I've seen. Like, you didn't, you didn't have that type of, you didn't have people filing lawsuits for touching each other in the 70s. Because it was like, we're the circus folk. We are the traveling circus, but we touch each other. We hug each other. We, we pretend that we're in love with the other character. We, we, we kiss each other. We, we're like family. And the outsiders are coming in and they're upset that we're who we are. And I'm not saying, see, someone's going to take this and they're going to twist what I'm, they're going to twist my words <laughs> and say, look at him. He's just like Weinstein. But no, I'm not no, defending. No, I don't think that's the case at all. I don't I'm think not that's defending those guys, you know? Um, no, you're being honest, which is what a podcast is all about. Honestly, you're the first actor I've had on that really has spoken out about the truth in the sense of how things have changed. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Hollywood is not for the fainted heart, I would say. No, no, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not. I mean, it's, it's, it's the glitz and glamour is even, we all make fun of it because it's like one night of the year when you go to an award thing and you dress up and the rest of it, you're covered in mud. You're freezing in a jungle working all night long. More often than not, you'll, you'll, you'll see someone laying in a mud puddle covered in plants, freezing their butt off, waiting for the camera guys to, to get ready to go. And they'll look up and say, oh, isn't it glamorous? That's Not more so of much. the norm. <laughs> yeah. I've heard one of the biggest frustrating things for most actors is when you get in that situation, you're ready to go. And then the director or whoever says, give us five more minutes. We'll go in five. And it's like, I've been laying here for an hour. <laughs> like yeah. take Predator or Alien or Starship Troopers or Contact or any Enemy of the State, any of these films that you've made, tag that on at the end of it. And people are like, wow, I want to be that. And it's like, it's super stressful. And it's not, uh, it's a mysterious thing, you know? And if you don't really know that, you're in for a, a, a rude awakening, I would say for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was like almost hospitalized on Starship Troopers for, I was in my hotel under constant surveillance uh, in bed sick from having heat stroke and like passing out because uh, I was, you know, wanting to stand out in the sun 
show my solidarity to all the background actors who were asked to stand out and do the same. But, the, you know, the, on the flip side, like what I didn't think of at that time was those background actors didn't just come off of three weeks of shooting nights in 30 degree weather, whereas I had. And then we had one night to flip our schedules and we're standing out in 120 degree heat and they're like, Jake, sit in the shade. And I'm like, oh, I can tough this out. Not so much, but, um, you know, you're always young and dumb at one point in your life, at least me. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would like to be the change that I'd like to see. And I've always been as courteous and polite as I possi- possibly could be at work and respectful, but also a, a participant of life and, and made a lot of great friends. And I've, I've, you know, had some wonderful relationships, you know, I mean, it's the life of the circus person. And so I was born into the circus. I'm still there and I'm in my late forties and it looks like my daughter is extremely interested and a fantastic singer. So that's great. Well, maybe they'll follow in dad's footsteps and knock it out of the park. Well, Jake, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. This has been a treat. If people want to connect with you or follow you or learn more about who you are, if they haven't heard of you, then they're under a rock. But uh, just to kind of check out some of your great films and your social media, how can they do that? Oh, well, I, on, on all those, I'm um, at the Jake Busey. Um, no periods, dots, dies, or T's or whatever. It's just at the Jake Busey. And then I, do, I have a, a Facebook fan page, which I believe is my name. It's just like the Jake Busey fan page. And then I've got some, I got a couple of Facebook accounts. I'm mostly on Instagram. I don't, uh, and some Facebook but um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I missed the boat on Snapchat. I'm just a little old. <laughs> I think most of us are a little old for that. Uh, and if you are older and you're on it and you're having great success, then that's great. But uh, yeah, power to you. <laughs> your work stands on its own, my friend. Well, Jake, thanks for being here. I appreciate it, my friend. Hey, thank you. Great talking with you. Have a wonderful day. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers.